How long do you think ice cream has been saving humanity on hot summer days? For many centuries. No one knows for sure the story of how ice cream was discovered, but it likely dates back to at least as far as the 4th century BCE. Of course, it wasn't the ice cream we know today. Alexander the Great, the king of Macedonia, would enjoy snow and ice covered in honey and nectar. That's the early ice cream. The Roman emperor Nero Caesar was eating snow flavored with fruits and juices. How would those guys get snow if they lived in very warm climates? Well, their helpers would run up a nearby mountain to bring some from up there. I'm not sure how they were dealing with it without a refrigerator, but I guess they had ways. Some historians say that there were deep pits covered with straw and the snow was stored there after harvesting it from the mountains. How it didn't melt on the way to the pit remains a mystery to me, but history has many of those. Okay, so far it's just been ice and snow, but we all know it's not the ice cream we're used to. One of the main ingredients of the dessert we know today is milk, and this one most likely appeared in China around the 7th century CE. Back then, the Tang Dynasty was ruling the country, and the emperors probably were the first ones to eat ice cream that contains milk. Back then, it was made from buffalo, goat, or cow milk. To enhance the flavor and aroma, they were adding camphor to it. Then, metal tubes would be filled with the mixture and stored in an ice pool to freeze. Let's leave China for a little bit and move to the Arab world during medieval times. Time to observe what frosty treats they ate there. They used to drink icy refreshments, the earlier versions of sorbet. There, they were typically made of pomegranate, cherry, or quince. Soon after, the Europeans picked it up, and it became quite popular in Europe too. The Italians and the French are the ones who especially adored it, so they took it from there and perfected it into their own versions. In the 17th century, Antonio Latini became the first person to officially record a recipe for his sorbetto. It contained fruits, ice, but also sugar and milk. This is the recipe that most culinary historians consider to be the first official ice cream. The Italians perfected their own type of sorbet called gelato. In Italian, it means frozen. No one is sure about who exactly invented gelato, but everyone knows the guy who opened the first cafe in Paris and started selling it. An Italian guy from Sicilia opened his Il Precope in 1686, and the cafe became a favorite meeting place for famous intellectuals at that time. That's how the French were first introduced to the Italian gelato, which was sold in porcelain bowls resembling egg cups. But you have to remember one important thing: never call gelato ice cream, especially in front of Italians. Even though these two might seem similar, there are many significant differences. Gelato contains way less fat, less air, and the flavor is more intense, and it's also served warmer than ice cream. So that's the Italian way. The French have perfected their own frozen dessert, the fromage. This translates from French as cheese, but in fact, it has nothing to do with it. Originally, it was made of cream, sugar, and orange flower water. Even today, the cream is an important ingredient. So the fromage is creamier and heavier than a gelato. Also, did you know that eggs are used to produce both? Yes, it's an important gelato and fromage ingredient that gives the dessert the necessary fat, but also a specific flavor.
we haven't covered America yet. Most likely, ice cream was brought to the USA by European immigrants. The first ice cream parlor in the States opened in 1790 in New York. But until the beginning of the next century, it was only available to the elite. Once it became more common, of course, it took over the country. It couldn't be any other way, could it? When NASA astronauts were asked what they missed most, ice cream was at the top of the list. Today, 9% of all produced cow milk in the USA is used to produce ice cream. The people who love ice cream most in the world live in New Zealand. The country is the biggest per capita ice cream consumer in the world. The second one is the United States. What do you think the most popular ice cream flavor is? Yeah, that's vanilla, of course. The second most popular flavor is chocolate. Turns out, chocolate ice cream was invented earlier. That's because vanilla wasn't available for a long time. Today, most vanilla is imported from Indonesia and Madagascar. Over 1,000 ice cream flavors exist. There are quite a few really weird ones, like hot dog flavor, bacon, avocado, licorice, octopus, jellyfish flavor, and even roasted garlic. Then there's also cheese ice cream, and it's a real and very common thing in the Philippines. The Philippines only got ice cream in the 19th century, but it wasn't widely available until a whole century after that. After refrigeration became widespread, an American opened the first ice cream parlor in the country, serving ice cream of three flavors, vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. Soon after, many more people started producing the frozen treat, incorporating locally available products like mango, avocado, and coconut. Instead of cow milk, Filipinos traditionally use milk from domestic water buffalo, which is also used to make white cheese. In the second half of the 20th century, cheddar cheese was first imported to the Philippines, and it became an instant favorite. It's the ingredient of the famous Filipino spaghetti and a common topping for pastries. Without thinking long, they combined their favorite cheese with their favorite dessert, ice cream. And they got an amazing creamy, salty, sweet cheese ice cream. So yes, that's a long story. We mentioned ice drinks, sorbet, and ice cream. But there was no word about popsicles. That's right, popsicles didn't exist for a long time. In fact, they were only invented by accident in 1905 by an 11-year-old boy called Frank Epperson. On a cold night, he was mixing sugary soda powder with water and forgot it outside after. After sitting there all night, it got frozen. When the boy returned and found it, he had to lick it off the wooden stick he was stirring it with. He liked it so much that he started producing them. He called them Epsicles, honoring his own name. But later, the name evolved into a Popsicle. Ice cream cones were invented just a year before popsicles in 1904. So a guy was selling waffle-like pastries at a fair. Right next to him, there was another guy selling ice cream. At some point, the ice cream guy ran out of dishes and didn't know what to do. So his neighbor rolled his waffle and offered to sell ice cream in them. The history of ice cream isn't even finished yet. Frozen treats keep being invented even today. For example, Slurpees were only invented in the late 1950s. Omar Knedlik was working at Dairy Queen in Kansas City, and the soda fountain broke down. To keep the beverages cool, he put them in the freezer. They turned slushy, and that's how the guy got the idea to make a machine that makes frozen beverages. He even created the icy name, 
and designed a logo for the brand. Several years later, 7-Eleven bought the right to sell the drinks, and they got popular. The newest ice cream-like invention is Dippin' Dots. In 1988, a microbiologist wanted an easier way to feed cows, so he started to freeze cow feed. Then he thought a little bit more and figured out that you can freeze other food, not only cow feed. So he started to freeze ice cream, and it was a blast. That's it for today. Maybe you can come up with something too, and will forever be imprinted in the ice cream history, like all these heroes we mentioned today. If you're smelling something fishy at home and it's not your delicious salmon dinner, then it's time to check your electrical equipment. That stinky smell could mean your wires are frayed, your breakers are faulty, or your circuits are overloaded. And let me tell you, those plastic-coated wires emit a smell worse than a tuna sandwich left out in the sun. So don't be a fish out of water and get your electrical system checked ASAP. If you smell rotten eggs in your house, call the plumber straight away. The most obvious reason is the sewage and drain problems, such as contamination. But such a smell can also be produced if you've got problems with the water heater. Another possible problem might be a gas leak. Manufacturers add some distinct bad-smelling chemical to natural gas so that people could notice even the tiniest gas leak on the spot. This one may not be as easy to spot as a unicorn in Central Park, but it's still important to know. Have you ever caught a whiff of something funky before your stove ignites? That's the smell of carbon monoxide. And let me tell you, it's no joke. This sneaky gas can be extremely dangerous if you inhale too much of it. And the worst part is that it's completely odorless and tasteless. That weird scent you're picking up it's actually added to the gas to give you a heads up that danger is lurking. So, next time you catch a funky smell coming from your stove, don't just brush it off as last night's leftover lasagna. It's not uncommon to find mold in your home wherever water is present and trapped, like an unknown leak in the walls. Mold spores can grow as a result of this moist patch and can cause pretty serious health issues. Bedbugs have a thing for shoes. Yep, they love to hide in them, but only if the conditions are right. So, if you've got a pair of shoes that you hardly ever wear, watch out. Bedbugs might just be snuggling up in there for a cozy nap. But don't worry, there's a trick to keeping those pesky bugs out of your kicks. Leather shoes are a bit too smooth for bedbugs to crawl on, so they're less likely to hide in those. Athletic shoes, on the other hand, are like a playground for bedbugs. All those interesting textures and patterns make for the perfect hiding spot. So, if you want to keep bedbugs out of your shoes, just wear them regularly. Those creepy crawlers don't like anything that moves or gets disturbed often. And who knows, you might even squish a few of them in the process. Talk about a win-win situation. So go ahead, put on those shoes and show those bedbugs who's boss. Your feet and your sanity will thank you for it. If your nostrils are being assaulted by an unpleasant odor, it might be time to check your mattress. Recent scientific studies have revealed that a seven-year-old mattress can harbor more bacteria than a sci-fi movie set in outer space. Over 16 million colony-forming units per square inch. That's enough to make even the bravest of us want to sleep in a hazmat suit. But fear not, for there is a solution to this gross problem. Enter baking soda, the unsung hero of household cleaning. Simply sprinkle some of this magical powder onto your mattress, let it sit for half an hour while you go do something fun, like watching cat videos, and then vacuum it up with a brush attachment. Voila! Your bed will smell fresher than a field of daisies on a spring day. So don't let those pesky bacteria get the best of you. And who knows? 
Maybe your newly freshened mattress will even inspire some sweet dreams, or at least keep the nightmares at bay. Have you ever noticed that your towel smells like a swamp monster's armpit? Yeah, that's because you've been using it for too long. Don't be a bacteria hoarder. Switch out your towel after three uses. And if you really want to banish those stinky germs, toss in some baking soda every now and then. Your nose, and if you share an apartment, your roommates will definitely thank you. If your bathroom smells like a swamp, it could be because of stagnant water or some gross residue in the drain. Don't worry, if the plumber can't come until tomorrow, you can hack the smell by adding a few drops of your favorite essential oil to the toilet paper roll. It won't solve the problem, but at least you won't feel like you're suffocating. Now, onto the stinky toilet brush. Squirt some scented detergent right into the holder, or make your own DIY scent with distilled water and essential oil. It will get rid of bacteria, and the essential oil will hide bad smells. Just make sure you're allergic to the oils you choose. Moving on to the dishwasher. Did you know that mold can grow in there? Gross, right? Run a dry heat cycle with no dishes but some vinegar instead. Make sure to flush all the interiors, including the filters and panels. And if your silverware basket is looking a little moldy, soak it in some diluted antibacterial detergent before rinsing it thoroughly. Now let's talk about weird sounds in your house. Clicking and knocking in the winter or fall could be from turning on the heating or radiators. If there's condensed steam stuck in the system, try bleeding the radiators. And if you hear a bubbling sound, it could be a water leak or sediment in the water heater. Shut off the main water and listen. If the sound stops, call the plumber. If not, try draining the tank. If you're moving into a new house, check the walls and ceiling for any red flags. Fresh paint could be hiding something, so ask the landlord what's up. And stay away from popcorn ceilings. Not only are they ugly, but they contain asbestos. Asbestos is like a bowl of alphabet soup. It's made up of all these hard-to-pronounce crystal fibers. Chrysotile, anthophyllite, tremolite, crocidolite, actinolite, and amosite. But don't let their wacky names trick you. Asbestos is one tough cookie. It can withstand high temperatures, chemicals, and even electricity. No wonder it was such a popular building material back in the day. Asbestos is like a sneaky ninja. It can break down into teeny tiny fibers that are so small they can float around in the air for days. And if you accidentally breathe in these fibers, it's like inviting a dangerous guest to your lungs. Yikes. So let's give asbestos the boot and keep our lungs happy and healthy. Just be careful if you're renovating an old home. You never know if you'll uncover a surprise layer of asbestos roofing. Odor-causing bacteria love to party in your kitchen sink and drain. And don't even get us started on the garbage disposal scraps. It's like a bacteria buffet in there. But there's a fun solution for you. Once a week, throw a party of your own by inviting six ice cubes, one tablespoon of baking soda, three thin lemon slices, and one teaspoon of bleach to the disposal. Turn up the music. Ahem. Turn on the disposal and let those ice cubes do their thing. When the party's over, rinse with cold water for 30 seconds and voila, a fresh and clean sink. Your new sofa or cabinets could be secretly releasing some stinky gases into the air. Yep, it's true. These gases, called volatile organic compounds, aka VOCs, can make your nose and throat feel pretty irritated. And if that's not bad enough, they can even give you a headache or make you feel dizzy. Yikes! But don't worry, I've got your back. If you can, try opening up some windows to get some fresh air flowing. And if you're on the hunt for some new furniture or home products, keep an eye out for low VOC options. 
Your nose will thank you. Plus, who wants to be surrounded by stinky furniture anyways? Venus most likely used to be covered with oceans, from 30 to 1,000 feet deep. Also, some water was locked in the soil of the planet. On top of that, Venus had stable temperatures of 68 to 122 degrees Fahrenheit, which, you have to admit, was quite pleasant and not that different from the temperatures on Earth nowadays. So, what I'm getting at is that for 3 billion years, right until something irrevocable happened 700 million years ago, Venus could have been habitable. But now, it's not. The Moon is the second brightest object in our sky. At the same time, among other astronomical bodies, it's one of the dimmest and least reflective. Our natural satellite only seems bright because it's so close to Earth. For comparison, our planet looks much brighter when you look at it from space. It's because clouds, ice, and snow reflect way more light than most types of rock. Triton, Neptune's moon, has all its surface covered with several layers of ice. If this satellite replaced our current moon, the night sky would get seven times brighter. Neutron stars are some of the smallest, yet most massive objects in space. They're usually about 12 miles in diameter, but are several times heavier than the sun. Oh, and they also spin about 600 times per second, far faster than your average figure skater. Saturn is the least dense planet in the solar system. It has one-eighth the average Earth's density. And still, because of its large volume, the planet is 95 times more massive than Earth. A transient lunar phenomenon is one of the most enigmatic things happening on the moon. It's a short-lived light, color, or some other change on the satellite surface. Most commonly, it's random flashes of light. Astronomers have been observing this phenomenon since the 1950s. They've noticed that the flashes occur randomly. Sometimes they can happen several times a week. After that, they disappear for several months. Some of them don't last longer than a couple of minutes. But there have been those that continued for hours. The year was 1969, one day before Apollo 11 landed on the moon. One of the mission participants noticed that one part of the lunar surface was more illuminated than the surrounding landscape. It looked as if that area had a kind of fluorescence to it. Unfortunately, it's still unclear if this phenomenon was connected with the mysterious lunar flashes. Trash isn't just a problem in Earth's oceans, cities, and forests. There is a thing called space junk, which is any human-made object that's been left in space and now serves no purpose. There's also natural debris from meteoroids and other cosmic objects. There are currently over 500,000 pieces of space debris orbiting the Earth at speeds high enough to cause significant damage if they were to collide with a spacecraft or satellite. NASA does its best to track every single object to ensure that missions outside Earth can reach their destination safely. Our Sun is insanely massive. Want some proof? 99.86% of all the mass in the solar system is the mass of the Sun. In particular, the hydrogen and helium it's made of. The remaining 0.14% is mostly the mass of the solar system's eight planets. The Sun's temperature is hotter than the surface of a star. The surface temperature reaches 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit, but the upper atmosphere heats up to millions of degrees. If someone could dig a tunnel straight into the center of the planet and out the opposite side, and you were adventurous enough to jump into it, it would take you 42 minutes to fall to the other side. You'd speed up as you fell, reaching maximum speed by the time you reached Earth's core. 
After the halfway point, you would then fall upwards, getting slower and slower. By the time you reach the opposite surface, your speed would be back to zero. Unless you managed to climb out of the hole, you'd immediately start falling again, back down or up to the other side of the planet. This trip would go on forever, all thanks to the weird effects of gravity. Hey, might be a fun way to spend an afternoon. There might be more metals, for example, titanium or iron, in lunar craters than astronomers used to think. The main problem with this finding? It contradicts the main theory about how the Moon was formed. That theory says that Earth's natural satellite was spun off from our planet after a collision with a massive space object. But then, why does Earth's metal-poor crust have much less iron oxide than the Moon's? It might mean the Moon was formed from the material lying much deeper inside our planet. Or these metals could have appeared when the molten lunar surface was slowly cooling down. Or maybe, as they've been saying for centuries, it's made of green cheese. Earth could have been purple before it turned blue and green. One scientist has a theory that a substance existed in ancient microbes before chlorophyll, that thing that makes plants green, evolved on Earth. This substance reflected sunlight in red and violet colors, which combined to make purple. If true, the young Earth may have been teeming with strange purple-colored critters before all the green stuff appeared. The highest mountain in the solar system is Olympus Mons on Mars. It's three times as high as Mount Everest, the Earth's highest mountain above sea level. If you were standing on top of Olympus Mons, you wouldn't understand you were standing on a mountain. Its slopes would be hidden by the planet's curvature. Astronomers have found a massive reservoir of water in space, the largest ever detected. Too bad it's also the farthest, 12 billion light-years away from us. The water vapor cloud holds 140 trillion times as much water as all the Earth's oceans combined. What are we supposed to do with that information? Venus spins at its own unhurried pace. A full rotation takes 243 Earth days, and it takes the planet a bit less than 225 Earth days to go all the way around the Sun. It means a day on Venus is longer than a year. There's very little seismic activity going on inside the Moon. Yet many moonquakes, caused by our planet's gravitational pull, sometimes happen several miles below the surface. After that, tiny cracks and fissures appear in the satellite surface, and gases escape through them. Hey, they sometimes escape from me, too. Now Mars is the last of the inner planets, which are also called terrestrial since they're made up of rocks and metals. The red planet has a core made mostly of iron, nickel, and sulfur. It's between 900 and 1,200 miles across. The core doesn't move. That's why Mars lacks a planet-wide magnetic field. The weak magnetic field it has is just 1 100th percent of the Earth's. When the planets in the solar system were just starting to form, Earth didn't have a moon for the longest time. It took 100 million years for our natural satellite to appear. There are several theories as to how the moon came into existence, but the prevailing one is the fission theory. Somebody went fishing and caught the moon? Actually, no. The fission theory proposes that the moon was formed when an object collided with Earth, sending particles flying about. Gravity pulled the particles together, and the moon was created. It eventually settled down on the Earth's ecliptic plane, which is the path that the moon orbits. So, looks like the green cheese is off the table now. 
The largest single living thing on Earth turns out to be a mushroom in Oregon. This enormous honey mushroom lives in Malheur National Forest and covers an area of 3.7 square miles. It could be as much as 8,500 years old. You could be forgiven for missing it, though, since most of it's hidden underground. When the roots of individual honey mushrooms meet, they can fuse together to become a single fungus, which explains how this one got so big. If you could gather all that mushrooming stuff into one big ball, it could weigh as much as 35,000 tons. That's about as heavy as 200 gray whales. Hey, that's a whale of a mushroom. <laughs> the largest asteroid in the solar system is called Vesta, and it's so big that it's sometimes even called a dwarf planet. A trip to the nearest star apart from the sun would take you 5 million years on a commercial airplane. That's what I call a long-haul flight. Space isn't supposed to be black. There are stars everywhere. Shouldn't they light up everything around? Well, you don't see stars wherever you look because some of them haven't existed long enough for their light to reach Earth. A day on Uranus lasts 17 hours, 14 minutes, and 24 seconds. But get this, the planet has a tilt of around 98 degrees, and that makes a season on the gas giant last 21 Earth years. Now, some scientists believe that our planet used to have an additional satellite. According to their research, a small celestial body about 750 miles wide orbited Earth like a second moon. It most likely crashed into our main satellite later on. Such a collision could explain why the two sides of the moon look so different from each other, one being heavily cratered and rough. Or it could be the green cheese. Why is the myth dogs are colorblind so widely accepted? They do see colors, even though they have a more limited spectrum than we do. They see blue, yellow, and violet pretty well, but it's hard for them to tell the difference between orange, red, and green. So, if you want to redecorate your dog's house, maybe you should stick to purple and blue shades. Animals, plants, and humans were all actually connected and have common traits because we've all evolved from the same micro-ancestor. This would be our planet's original ancestor, Luca. This stands for the last universal common ancestor, which is a 3.8 billion year old organism. Closing the eyes can improve your memory. Let's say you want to listen to a story and see how much you can remember. Studies show that if you close your eyes and take a 15-minute rest, you'll remember it better. A good technique for when you're studying or trying to remember some boring information. The pink corner of your eye is actually the remnant of the third eyelid. We all have this mysterious membrane. The third eyelid is way more prominent in certain mammals and birds since it protects their eyes from dust. But for humans, this tissue doesn't have any particular meaning, so scientists believe we'll eventually lose it. When potatoes are exposed to too much light, they mostly turn green, whether they're in a factory, storage, or a field. This happens because they start to form chlorophyll, a pigment that gives plants green color. So when you see green potato chips, it means they were made from one of these potatoes that were exposed to light for a longer time. But just because some green potato chips made it into the bag doesn't mean you should eat them. As it turns out, the green areas on potatoes and on chips are not good for you. Nothing's going to happen if you eat one or two of these green potato chips. But if you eat too much of a green potato, you might experience some discomfort. Despite their name, 
Some oranges are not orange. Some initially contain large amounts of chlorophyll, which makes this citrus green-colored in the first place. As it matures and ripens, the chlorophyll slowly disappears as the fruit is exposed to cool temperatures. That's when it gets its color. But this is also why, in warm areas across the world, oranges remain green. If you've ordered something small from Amazon, like a pen, a single book, or something else, you might have got it in a box that seemed way too big for your item. And it's not an accident, nor random. It's because of their complex shipping algorithm. It takes into account the size of other packages going to the same place, as well as the size of the shipping vehicle. The small item gets a box size that will fit the space inside the vehicle together with other packages and keep boxes from sliding around. Physicist and inventor Percy Spencer discovered microwaves by accident. He was building a magnetron for some of his radar equipment. At one moment, he realized the chocolate bar he had been keeping in his pocket had begun to melt. He was curious about what was going to happen next, so he directed microwaves at eggs, which exploded, and popcorn, which popped. This is how he discovered a great tool to heat food that uses less energy than a conventional oven. In its original version, the clay-like substance we call Play-Doh today was a wallpaper cleaner. It was invented and sold for the purpose of lifting soot off of wallpaper. At the time it first showed on the market, you could only get it in an off-white color. But later, they started selling it as a toy. The substance was produced in yellow, blue, and red. Today, you can get it in more than 50 colors. Bubble wrap had a somewhat different purpose at its beginning. It was supposed to be wallpaper. In the 1950s, when it first showed up, two engineers decided to glue two shower curtains together. That's how they trapped small bubbles of air between them. They were trying to create some sort of textured wallpaper, but it didn't take off. A couple years later, IBM had to ship some data processors and needed something to protect them, which is when the phenomenon of bubble wrap came up. One study showed that one minute of popping bubble wrap is as calming as a 30-minute massage. Why don't electric fans cool the air? You could set a thermometer in front of it and choose a turbo mode. But the temperature won't go down. In fact, the temperature might even go up if you leave the thermometer next to the working parts thanks to the electric current. A fan won't cool the air, but it will cool you or any other object with water inside. An electric fan improves air circulation in a closed space. Plus, it speeds up evaporation which makes liquids, including the sweat on your skin, a bit cooler. Have you noticed pen caps have tiny holes on the top? It seems random at first, but it's actually a lifesaver. If you can accidentally swallow this cap, the hole ensures you can continue breathing because the cap won't completely block the airway. If you take a closer look at the night sky, you'll see stars come in different shapes and sizes. White is the most prevalent color, true but they sparkle in shades of red, blue, and yellow too. But you won't see a green star. It's not that stars don't emit green light, it's just that our eyes don't see it like that. Stars vary in colors when they burn at different temperatures. The hottest stars appear blue, while the coolest stars seem to burn in red hues, but they all shine in multiple colors. They emit different light wavelengths that represent various parts of the color spectrum. We can't all perceive those wavelengths separately. We only see the dominant light wavelength, which means the dominant color. 
So, stars of medium heat emit green photons in most cases, but they just don't appear green. When we try to process something that generates red, green, blue, and yellow photons at once, our eyes see it as white. That's the same reason why mid-temperature stars such as our sun appear white to us. Why do we blink? To moisten and cleanse the eye, that's for sure. Every time you close your eyelids, the tear glands secrete a salty substance that sweeps over the surface of your eye. It then flushes away all those tiny dust particles and also lubricates the exposed parts of your eyeball. We usually blink every 4 to 6 seconds unless the eyes are more irritated. Then, we blink more frequently to keep them moist and clean. But not just that. Blinking also helps our brain to reset. It has to process so many things all the time, so it's fair to give it a break from time to time. So blinking rescues our brain around 15 to 20 times per minute. When we shut our eyes, we help our brain to power down and take a very short but still effective mental break. That's why we blink more when we're in the middle of a task that demands some serious mental activity. Why do we have nails? They're generally made of a specific type of protein you can find in fur, hair, claws, and hooves. It's called keratin, and unlike claws, nails are flat and wide, so they're more effective at shielding the tips of toes and fingers from potential injuries. Fingernails not only protect sensitive areas but also provide a rigid backing so you can take and separate small objects more easily. How would you pick up a single jigsaw piece or peel a sticker from its backing without nails? It would be almost impossible without additional tools. Apes and monkeys use their feet for such delicate tasks too. Primates have probably evolved nails because they needed help with simple tasks, such as grasping branches tightly and removing ticks. Raspberries, blackberries, strawberries, and cherries are not berries. To classify a berry, they have to have three layers. A protective outer one, a fleshy one in the middle, and finally, an inner part where you can find the seeds. Also, a plant must come from a flower with just one ovary and have two or more seeds. So, by this criteria, cranberries and blueberries are berries. Together with some more plants, you wouldn't expect to be in this category. Kiwis, bananas, watermelons, tomatoes, eggplants, and even peppers. You've probably heard, your ears and nose are those body parts that never stop growing. This happens because the effects of skin changes and gravity. Other parts of your body change in the same ways, but you can't see it as well as you can see what's happening with your nose and ears. You can easily remove post-it notes because their adhesive is not even. Sticky notes feature a plastic adhesive. It's spread out in blobs across that sticky part of the paper. When you slap a post-it onto a bulletin board, not all the blobs, that are technically called microcapsules, will actually touch the surface to keep the paper stuck there. You can easily unstick it. And then, when you want to reattach it to something else, those blobs of glue that are left unused will take over the role of the adhesive. Eventually, you'll use all the capsules of glue, or they'll simply get clogged with dirt. So, the note won't stick anymore. It's very satisfying to chew gum because it's made of rubber. Gum from before had an elastic texture because of something called chicle, a natural type of latex rubber. Now you can chew your bubble gum easily because it's made of synthetic rubber. Some of these are used in car tires too, while others are used in Elmer's glue because they mimic the effect of chicle. Office buildings are a bit taller during the night. When the employees are finished with work, they all go home. 
Tall office buildings get slightly taller. For example, a 1,300-foot tall skyscraper will shrink about 0.03 inches under the weight of 50,000 people inside, assuming they're all an average weight. You could actually heat your house with just 70 people. If you've ever been trapped in a small crowded room, you know people give off body heat. So you'd need about 70 people in motion to warm up your home in the winter using just their body heat. Or maybe 140 people standing still, if you consider the house uses four electrical storage heaters and humans radiate approximately 100 to 200 watts of heat in normal conditions. Why does glass break so easily? It's because its atoms are not very tightly arranged. Unlike other solid material like metal, glass is made up of amorphous, which basically means structureless, loosely packed and randomly arranged atoms. These atoms can't rearrange themselves that quickly to retain a firm structure, so glass collapses and fragments shatter everywhere. Do you know why airplane passenger windows are mostly below eye level? Aircraft are way cheaper, stronger, and easier to build without windows, but they're there because many people like the view. Particularly about 100 years ago, when flights were often conducted at low altitudes. Also, if some passengers are feeling sick, looking out the window can help them reconnect their sense of balance, as their eyes are continually reporting what's going on around them. Windows in this position also help distribute the load around them more evenly. The floor of the cabin where people sit isn't all the way at the bottom of the aircraft, which is why windows end up being quite low compared to both the overall volume of the cabin itself and the eye level of the passengers sitting down. Water feels colder than air at the same temperature because it's denser. Because of that, your body loses heat 25 times faster while surrounded by water than it would if it was surrounded by air that was the same temperature. Since it's so dense, water has a high heat capacity, which means it takes a lot of heat to raise its temperature just a little bit. Water is good at both retaining heat and cold. That's why the ocean is way cooler than land, and at the same time, the hot soup stays hot for a long time. Water is also a pretty good conductor, which means it effectively transfers either heat or cold to the human body. Have you ever wondered why water cleans so well? It's because of its asymmetrical molecules. They are made of two hydrogen atoms stuck to a single oxygen atom, which means they're triangular. That's why they have a slightly different charge on their different sides, similar to a magnet. The oxygen end of the molecule is slightly negative, while the hydrogen is slightly positive. Because of this feature, water is great at sticking to other molecules. So, when you want to wash away dirt, water molecules will stick to the dirt. They'll pull it away from the surface the dirt was on, no matter what it is. This is why water has surface tension. It's capable of sticking to itself, too. House cats share some similarities with big wild cats, but one of the things that sets them apart is their vocalization. The majority of large cats, like tigers and lions, will roar loudly so everyone knows they're coming to defend their territory. But with house cats, most of the time, you'll just hear purrs and meows. That's because of the physiology of their throat and voice box, which helps create these feline vocalizations, so a cat can either roar or purr. But no cat can do both. Bobcats, cougars, house cats, cheetahs, they purr. Purring is specific because a cat creates it when it breathes in and when it breathes out. 
Roaring has evolved in a particular lineage of big cats, which includes tigers, lions, jaguars, and leopards, except the snow leopard, who lost this ability. They are capable of roaring because of the bendy bones in their throat. Mammals have their voice box in the throat, where air passing by its structures produces sounds. The vocal cords in the hyoid bones are the two main parts of the larynx that create different vocalizations in cats. You probably also prefer the pulse setting on your blender. And why wouldn't you? It just works better. And that's because of turbulence. When a blender stops chopping up food and starts spinning it around in circles only, everything you put inside is spinning at the same rate. It's not really about blending ingredients together, but about something called laminar flow. That means all the layers of liquid are continuously moving in the same direction. When you use the pulse function, your blender adds turbulence. So the fruit chunks are not just rolling around the sides of the blender, but they are falling into the center, which is when it's easier to blend them. So you'd like to open your window during a warm spring or summer day. It's so nice to hear the birds singing, and even when you come back an hour later, you'll probably still hear them singing the same song. They're hard workers, and the males are most likely guarding their territory and trying to attract a female. And other animals have their own tactics. Some like to rub their scent everywhere, but birds use a song to send the message, Hey, I'm letting everyone know, especially other males in the area, this is my space. So they'll continue singing the same song over and over again. During the winter, they will most likely sing fewer notes to each other, or just one note. They want to let others know that where they are is their space. Plus, they're trying to figure out if there's any food somewhere nearby. Why do cats like small spaces? First of all, they are solitary animals, which is why they always search for a safe hiding place to take a good nap. And if you see a cat curled in a tiny box, it was probably just trying to find a nice warm spot to sleep and avoid the cold floor. Cats prefer room temperatures to be about 57 degrees Fahrenheit. A bit cooler than this is comfortable for us. And if there isn't a convenient sunbeam to lie in, they will look for other solutions, like a cozy shoebox. Cats are pretty lazy. They can sleep up to 18 hours a day, most average between 10 and 13 hours on a daily basis. The majority of cats are most active during dawn and dusk. They're not the nocturnal animals that some of us think they are but a specific category called crepuscular animals, together with other creatures like hamsters, ferrets, and stray dogs. Over millions of years, cats have evolved to become low-light predators. Their eyesight is adapted for activities during twilight. And since that's when they're most active, they save their energy for dusk and dawn. Before they became domesticated, cats would have had to expend large amounts of energy at these times, finding, going after, and catching their prey. House cats no longer need to hunt before each meal, but their natural instincts still encourage them to conserve energy for twilight periods. Why are four-leaf clovers so rare? Similar to animals, plant genes are located in small packages of DNA in the nucleus of each cell. They're called chromosomes. Our chromosomes come in matched pairs, but clovers have four copies of every chromosome per cell. There's a gene responsible for four-leaf clovers, and it's recessive. That means this plant will create four leaves only if it has a four-leaf gene on all four chromosomes. And that's pretty rare. Also, some environmental conditions like soil activity and temperature can also affect whether the four leaves appear. Interestingly, these anomalies tend to happen in clusters, 
So if you find one, look around you, there might be more of them. That's it for today. So hey, if you pacified your curiosity, then give the video a like and share it with your friends. Or if you want more, just click on these videos and stay on the bright side.